especially with the addition of AI, I think more and more, even this year, we're going to see a lot more worlds created through prompts. You ultimately need that imagination to decide what they're asking for and then refining it through continued prompt writing. Right. I do foresee that maybe even by the end of this year, stepping into an empty void in VR and then talking about the environment and having it manifest around you is not impossible to imagine. So you're basically saying the holodeck is not too far away. Welcome to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer. Speaking of holodecks, I was able to return to my happy place, what I like to call my holodeck, which is the bar at Aretsky's Patroon in Midtown Manhattan. Was able to see old friends and reconnect to that sense of comfort and enjoyment that really brought me into a good frame of reference. And the cool thing about some of this technology nowadays is you can bring it back as simply as fire up the relevant media, and then suddenly I'm taken to a different place. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I'm starting to experience a little bit of AI overload, a little bit of dystopian sci-fi to the nth degree when I need it to the nth minus one at least. Today, we're going to try to counterbalance against the AI megatrend. We're going to put some ideas out there, bring some conversations to the surface that we think might help you navigate, maybe even have a little bit of fun. We let off with some sound from Don Carson, who works for Mighty Coconut Studios, the designers of Walkabout Mini Golf. Don's a really visionary guy. We talked about placemaking in virtual reality from a game design perspective. He's got a Disney background, designed theme parks, and is now shifting that focus to design virtual reality mini golf experiences. Here's some more from my conversation with Don Carson. The secret of Ken Burns' documentaries has been that he allows you to ask the question, what would it have been like if I was there? You know, through letters and through people's memoirs and relationships and back and forth between events and how it was affecting people. When themed environments or any environment design is done, it puts our shoes into that situation where we can ask ourselves, if I was in this situation, what would it be like? What does it feel like to be in here? Would I be afraid? Would I be excited? Do I have God view? Am I looking down on this happening and looking at it sort of as a map or am I in it? And as world designers or place designers, whether you're an architect, you're a theme park designer, even an illustrator, you're orchestrating how the events unfold and how you relate to it. One example being that cathedrals often start with a small room that you enter first, sort of a foyer that then opens out to this vast sort of heart-stopping space, all the stained glass and everything. That's not by accident that's mm. been orchestrated to elicit that response of I'm in a dark space and I open into a large space. That's just one of many, many other tools that artists could use to help them better relate to what they're experiencing and being able to utilize those same principles, but telling the story of a Civil War battlefield or what it was like to be Anne Frank. Any topic you would want some way for your audience to relate to, I think there's a, a huge opportunity in it. 
We'll include links to my conversation with Don in the show notes. It definitely opened up my imagination, as did just playing around a little bit with virtual reality, which uh, I have to credit my wife for giving me the Oculus Quest for my birthday a couple years ago. It keeps me on the up and up around the VR trends that are out there, which are kind of percolating under the surface. It's always interesting when you are over-indexed on one trend, like AI, what are you snoozing on? I would argue that AI was something we were all snoozing on while we got swept up in the blockchain and crypto and Web3, meta and the metaverse and all these things. While that was happening, folks were chipping away at some of these big AI problems, and we've now seen some breakthroughs there. It is interesting that these VR experiences can really give us a sense of escape, a sense of place that is somewhere else, that is futuristic. Maybe it's even meditative, restorative in some ways. It's going to be a really interesting set of experiences to keep an eye on. It also touches on a couple concepts that I wanted to make sure we emphasize today. One is the idea of the extended mind, and the other is the idea of deliberate play, which I got from Adam Grant's new book, Hidden Potential. We'll talk about deliberate play a little bit later, but to start, let's dig in a little more into the extended mind, which is the idea that we don't exist as a disembodied mind. We actually exist in our bodies, we exist in human situations, contexts that require some understanding. Elliot Felix first turned me on to the idea of the extended mind based on the work of Andy Clark. And then later you'll hear me talk more about Annie Murphy Paul's book. We'll pick up here with Elliot Felix talking about Andy Clark's concept of the extended mind the thought there is that space can be part of your extended mind, which is a concept created by cognitive philosopher Andy Clark. He talks about the extended mind as a tool beyond your brain or body that you can use to think with, a way to augment your capacity. And space has this capacity because it can do more than meet your functional needs, right? It can be more than a place to do stuff and store your stuff. It can be a tool for memory, for instance, putting up a calendar so you can keep track of your deadlines, putting up post-its about important things you need to remember. Mm -hmm. It can be a tool for identity because you can show yourself things that remind you of who you are and what's important to you. And it might be pictures of friends and families or a map of places you've been, rewards you've won. And it can be a tool for belonging because you can show yourself what you're a part of, which maybe it's a team or friends or family. I really appreciate this concept. It's an important antidote to the overindulgence, overemphasis, overindexing of AI that's becoming pretty exhausting. We'll pick up here from that same Extended Mind episode here. I'm out walking in 80 plus degree weather in Prospect Park in Brooklyn to give you a sense of place, a sense of class outside, themes that we've been talking about a lot on the show that I think are going to become increasingly important as technology continues to advance. How do we find other spaces, other contexts? How do we get time out in nature? These are all important themes we're talking about on the show. So I just finished listening to The Extended Mind, Thinking Outside the Brain by Annie Murphy Paul, based in large part on the work of Andy Clark. Talks a lot about extensions, whether they are mental extensions or extensions beyond 
an individual brain or individual human to start to look at broader connections. Also the role of context, how brains are deeply situated in contexts and that ultimately has a profound influence on what external artifacts brains produce. I'm experimenting with producing artifacts from walks like this one as I walk up upon some swans swimming above the surface of the pond here. I wanted to add a little more sound to the repertoire to see how this might impact the ultimate output. But as if being out in nature wasn't enough, there are other ways to restore yourself from the AI overload, the dystopian sci-fi hellscape that we're living in. One is using the actual game that Don Carson, who opened up our show, is designing. Next, you'll hear me talking about my experience when first engaging in a new virtual VR environment, flying around a little bit, hopefully gets the imaginative wheels turning and reminds us that we can extend into different contexts, different spaces, all in service of finding that respite, finding that relief from all the noise. All right. I am now floating above El Dorado. It is a jungle. It is raining. I'm able to levitate above my mini golf course here. I'm now floating over towards, it looks like a jaguar's head at a waterfall that falls down by this golf course. I am in fact now able to go underwater and float through, come back up. I don't know if you're picking this up in my voice, but this experience is pretty wild. It's pretty immersive. Looks like the rainforest reminds me a little bit of when I was in Guyana with my wife and we flew to Kaichur, a waterfall out in the interior of Guyana, up on an airstrip. We landed right above the rainforest down there. This gives me that experience, but it does it in the same context that I'm typically recording your everyday episode of Trending in Education. But you can imagine as this stuff keeps getting better, the ways in which our brains are going to respond to these environments, the way it's going to sound, the way we're going to be able to create artifacts that are informed by these wildly diverse and varied experiences. We're going to close out on this idea of the extended mind and thinking outside your brain, thinking in new and enlightening ways as an antidote and a counterpoint to push back on the overwhelming megatrend that is AI nowadays. This involves embracing the hidden senses, tapping into sensory learning and some of the themes and topics that we talked about with Natalia Kurchikova, who was on recently. We'll hear a little bit of sound from Natalia here as we continue to look for ways to look critically at AI and find respite and restorative time with a broadened perspective that comes with an extended mind. The uh, move towards researching multiple senses was not driven by some kind of sudden change. It was more like an organic process in the sense that we know that when we use digital media today, we are very much disembodied, that we are mm. more or less engaging our visual sense, hearing, and then, you know, touching a more sophisticated way with different devices. But really the stimulation of the so-called hidden or silent senses like olfaction and taste and proprioception, so the movement of your body. Yeah. Those senses tend to be not directly stimulated with today's technologies. Mm. 
So the idea of looking very specifically and in depth at uh, olfaction, the sense of smell, that idea has been floated around for some time. And I certainly had a keen interest in that when we were developing the different technologies with children, but the funding just wasn't there. It was, you know, the COVID pandemic and the fact that many people lost their sense of smell mm. somehow mobilized the interest among funders in olfactory technologies. Interesting. So in a sense, I was lucky that my project then was perceived as more relevant and we were able to start a large-scale study where we can look at the impact of olfaction on various aspects of reading and uh, children's storytelling. Fantastic stuff there with Natalia. We'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. So hopefully you see where we're heading here, where an extended mind, a deeper understanding of our embodied humanity, all the context senses that are activated in our intelligence, in our awareness, in our consciousness, how much of that is related and connected to social contexts and other humans. Really interesting counterpoints and things to go deeper on when faced with all of the AI hullabaloo that's out there. That's the first aspect of the conversation. The other thing I wanted to touch on is the importance of play. And this was reinforced in part in reading Adam Grant's new book, Hidden Potential, where he talks about the qualities that are important to continue to grow, to continue to get better, to continue to be open for improvement. He separates them into three things. One is the ability to be a sponge to always learn, to always be looking for new things, stay curious. The second is to be comfortable with discomfort, to seek it out, to put yourself into difficult situations. That's ultimately where we really grow. And then the third is to avoid perfectionism and be willing to satisfice and make do. The perfect is the enemy of the done. Lots of interesting perspective in the book. But one of the concepts that he puts in there is the idea of deliberate play as an interesting counterpoint to deliberate practice. Practice? You talking about practice? Yeah, AI. I'm talking about practice. And it's interesting that deliberate practice is contrasted with deliberate play in that certain coaching styles allow for a more playful dynamic. There's reference to Steph Curry, Steve Kerr, and the Golden State Warriors. I'm not quite through it, but it's been pretty engaging so far. To me, it reinforced the importance of play. And perhaps this is tied to the fact that I'm the parent of a kindergartner. He's turning five soon. And we're going from pre-K where play is the thing. Shout out to Bill Shakespeare there. But then he comes to kindergarten and it's more about getting in line and doing your homework and meeting the requirements of the institution. He's having a good experience. We're enjoying the school. It's a reminder of how we lose at times our sense of play at our own detriment, to our own detriment, and that learning through play, that's really what deliberate play is about, is a really important tool. It's also a way to form social bonds, figure out how to work with teammates, figure out how to play well together. So I would recommend Hidden Potential from Adam Grant. We're going to pick up next with my conversation with Michelle Ackley from Sphero. My wife, Dr. Robin Naughton, joined me in part because our son 
was beta testing their new indie product, which allows kids, young kids, ages, say, four to eight, five to eight, to understand abstract ideas related to coding, related to technology and algorithms and problem solving, but to do so with no screens, with cars that zip around your home or a classroom. It's an interesting conversation. I always love getting my wife in. Take a listen. We believe that no student is too young to learn problem-solving skills, critical thinking skills. They're important for future development. At the same time, myself as a parent of two girls, six and eight, I don't want them behind a screen all the time. And there are so many apps and other things out there that teach kind of logic and programming. But that means I have to give them my phone or mm -hmm. I have to give them a tablet. I still want them to be active. I still want them to problem solve and think outside of the box without being tied to a screen. And kind of from that is where Indie was born. How do we teach basic programming and problem solving skills without having to connect that object to something else mm -hmm. or adding in that extra step? Robin, you mentioned how easy it is to use out of the box. That is the most important thing for our youngest kids. If they can't figure it out, they're just going to go play with the box, which there is nothing wrong with that. We appreciate that. But we wanted to make sure something works right away that got them mobile as well as engaged in thinking. And that's where Indie came from. One of the first things kids learn, green means go. Place Indie on green and guess what? It goes. Where do I want it to go? That's when the problem solving comes in and they have to use those color tiles to figure out, you know, which direction does Indie go? How fast do I want it to go? What happens if it goes too fast mm -hmm. or too slow? Or, you know, what happens when it stops and runs into a wall? So they're constantly thinking and problem solving about how they want to use this product. And, you know, half the time, I don't know about your son, but my girls are placing the tiles and they're running around. So we are integrating that physical movement component as well with the simple programming that we understand as algorithms is this, then that. And mm -hmm. learning those at the age of four is pretty incredible. Because then who knows what you're going to do at 6, 8, 12, 18. All right, son. The gauntlet has been dropped. Michelle's wondering what a child who starts playing with what he refers to as an AI toy at age four. What is he doing at 6, 8, 12, and 18? Keep your eyes and ears open. You'll hear more as the story continues to unfold. We're talking about deliberate play. We're talking about how to continue to provide counterpoints and ways to engage off screens, off of AI, outside of the traditional conversation. Some of it's even tech enabled. Maybe you do that through VR or through some other emerging technology, but hopefully this is helping you relax, get to your happy place and embrace an inner Zen, an inner peace that is not too much obsessed with the dystopic AI hellscape that I like to talk about. We're going to conclude here with a really surprising, engaging, intriguing conversation that I had with Mike Echera, who's the co-founder and president of LuxBlox. I picked up some LuxBlox toys. They're kind of an alternative to Lego, modeled more after natural formations. 
It was a surprisingly deep conversation. Here's just a taste. Like I said, we'll include links to all of these conversations in the show notes for this episode. Subscribe to Trending in Ned to get more like this on the regular, trying to hit you one, maybe two times a week, every week, which is how we roll here at Trending in Ed. Hopefully you're enjoying what you're hearing. Here's a little bit of me with Mike Acera from Lux Blocks. If kids don't experience going into the forest and negotiating a forest environment or going by a pond or a creek and putting their hand into a pond and stirring up the mud and picking up a snail, all those things I think are hugely formative for kids. They crystallize in their brain. They remember the rest of their lives. Yeah. Why is that? Because nature does have this spatial richness to it, this texture that you're talking about kinesthetic learning and yeah. learning through fidgets. Nature is the ultimate fidget, of course. Mm -hmm. I can't even, you know, but what Lux does is it takes nature and, and reduces it to a plaything that shows these first principles. And we're a big Lego fan. I'm not going to knock Lego. Lego's high brick art, the highest brick art, really yeah. it is. Yeah. But we can look at all of our life as living on these like ruins, right, of the greatness of past civilizations. We all live in a ruin, right? And my wife and I are trying to create a new technology that honors those ruins, but says, okay, but you can make that, that Roman viaduct, you know, vibrate and go into a wave and squish up and down and become more like Dr. Seuss, yeah. you know, and you can see like the, a, a new kind of realm of nature in the potential of structure. Fascinating stuff there with Mike Acera from Lux Blocks, all of our guests providing really interesting counterpoints to the AI megatrend that we will continue to track but hopefully we'll track it critically and be thinking about our humanity and our well-being, mental health, all those good things. Remember the ideas of the extended mind and deliberate play as the two themes that we're really trying to hit on today as we kick some things around that we hope will help folks get some perspective and have some alternative models out there when trying to counterbalance the overwhelming AI megatrend that we're living in nowadays. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. Tell your friends. We're now on YouTube. Season eight's well underway. Getting some nice traction on the different platforms that are out there, but we can't do it without you, our listeners. Thanks for sticking with us along the way. We're excited about where things are headed, and we look forward to you joining us on the ride. This is Trending in Education. <laughs>